Welcome back to the Hill Valley Podcast. Today, John Wesley joins us as part of his podcast tour of 2020. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement, the predecessor of our modern United Methodist Church. Today, we'll be discussing the church's stand on the natural world with Mr. Wesley when we come back. John was a preacher of God and my Bible says so too. I said, roll, John, and roll, roll, John, and roll. My soul arise in heaven alone for the year when Jordan rolled. Welcome, Mr. Wesley. It is well to be here. Mr. Wesley, your views, particularly for your time, were strikingly progressive. Today, I would like to discuss your views on the policies of the United Methodist Church towards the environment particularly the church's social principle on the natural world. I have taken a look at this statement and find that the essence of this document lies in its preamble. I believe in addressing this document. I will draw largely on my thoughts in my 60th and the following sermon, and mayhap in the general rules. Perhaps you could share your thoughts on each section. The first begins, or the first is, all creation is the Lord's. We are responsible for the ways in which we use it and abuse it. All the elements of creation, and here the statement lists them out, water, air, animal life, and so on, are to be valued and conserved because they are God's creation and not solely because they are useful to human beings. God has granted us stewardship of creation. We should meet these stewardship duties through acts of loving care and respect. What are your thoughts on this passage, Mr. Wesley? Indeed, it is true. As the statement says that all creation is the Lord's. And while, as it says, we are always responsible for the ways we use and abuse the properties of others, is this not like how, when stumbling on your neighbors, or in this case, God's, cow wandering the street, our ethic and conscience insist that we care for the animal until we locate its rightful owner to return the animal home? It is rather puzzling that it has to point out that things that belong to another, as all creation belongs to the Lord, must be valued and not reduced to the merely useful. One would think humanity become a boy complaining when it is punished for stealing his brother's toy and destroying it. When it goes on, to describe us as stewards. Stewards are mere employees supervising a master's estate under his direction. No, 
we are no mere stewards. The master has placed creation in our charge. We rule as vice regents in his place until he returns. All creation is placed in our care and is in deep dependence upon us. Would you elaborate on your understanding of humanity as vice regents? God Almighty, whether you know it or not, did not make creation as it is now. He himself made it better, unspeakably better than it is at present. Then God gave dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth, as it says in Genesis 1.28. So, that man was God's vice-regent upon earth, the prince and governor of this world, and all the blessings of God flowed through him to the inferior creatures. Man was the channel of conveyance between his creator and the whole brute creation. So that places humanity in a pretty important role between God and creation. Well, let's return to the, uh, to the statement. The next portion of it goes, Human developments have led to regional defoliation, dramatic extinction of species, massive human suffering, overpopulation, and misuse and overconsumption of natural and non-renewable resources, particularly by industrialized societies. This continued course of action jeopardizes the natural heritage that God has entrusted to all generations. That sounds fairly weighty. What do you think of these claims, Mr. Wesley? This seems but a small catalog of what the sin of humanity has wrought on creation. And while this compendium may be true as far as it briefly goes, I find it sorely misplaces blame. It holds an abstraction named human development accountable, as if Adam Smith's notion of ghostly causes were at fault, and some order of demons were afflicting creation, rather than it being the result of actions of each of you, and if I remain much longer, myself. In addition to not speaking of the role of ourselves and sin in these disasters, it reduces the suffering in creation into a ghost by speaking of it as the extinction of species, a mere passing absence. Instead, what we speak of is the extended and brutal suffering of many animals at our hands, leading in many cases to their needless death. There is a striking difference between the way you're speaking of the detailed death and suffering 
of individual animals, much as we would suffer and feel the pain ourselves and go through death. That's a much very different thing than talking about extinction and abstractions. Would you care to speak of the root causes of the problem? When God created the heaven and the earth, God saw that it was good. He adorned it with flowers of every hue and with shrubs and trees of every kind. And every part was fertile as well as beautiful. The paradisical earth afforded a sufficiency of food for all its inhabitants so that none of them had any need or temptation to prey upon the other. Evil did not exist at all in the original nature of things. God made not death in the animal creation, neither its harbingers. He made it without any blemish, yea, without any defect. Now, in what condition is the whole lower world? To say nothing of inanimate nature. Since man rebelled against his maker, in what a state is all animated nature? As by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And not on man only, but on these creatures also. And not death alone came, but, but all its train of preparatory evils, pain, and 10,000 sufferings. Not these only, but likewise all those irregular passions, all those unlovely tempers, which in men are sins, and even in brutes are sources of misery. These passed upon all the inhabitants of the earth and remain in all except the children of God. As man is deprived of his perfection, his loving obedience to God, so brutes are deprived of their perfection, their loving obedience to man. Well, if we grant all that, it certainly does... Uh, you describe that in very stark terms. Why doesn't nature respond? On the contrary, the far greater part of them flee from him, studiously avoid his hated presence. The most of the rest set him at open defiance. Yea, destroy him if it be in their power. That that is a stark, stark reaction. Well, the preamble continues. Let us recognize the responsibilities of the church and its members to place a high priority on changes to support a more ecologically equitable and sustainable world, leading to higher quality of life for all of God's creation. And this, this perhaps is the most disappointing passage of all. The most needful things have been ignored in these words. Instead, this statement ambles on 
to gently ask that we consider a motion to think on one day, perhaps in the third or fourth generation, with which we might debate the gentle treatment of our cares. Instead, what is needful is that we be confronted freely and plainly with the true state of our souls and the faults that we have committed. Conviction followed by repentance and faith are full as necessary in order to our continuance and growth in grace as the former faith and print and repentance were in order to our entering into the kingdom of God. Say someone isn't convinced by large-scale, grand theological and ethical arguments. What more would you say to convict someone that they change their mind on this matter? He does not overlook or despise any of the works of his own hands. He wills even the meanest of them to be happy. Yet misery of all kinds overspreads the face of the earth. The original state of the brute creation was paradisical. Yet what a condition is the whole world. What savage fierceness, what unrelenting cruelty are invariably observed in thousands of creatures. Yea, it is inseparable from their natures. Is it only the lion, the tiger, the wolf that tears the flesh, sucks the blood, and crushes the bones of their helpless fellow creatures? Yet despite this, both the feebler and stronger, stronger creatures are exposed to the violence and cruelty of him that is now their common enemy, man. All this I've said before, but in your day I observed that you have built great factories. You have punctured the earth to draw its blood. You take the debris and throw it away into your fields and your animals choke on it, all so you yourselves can drown in excess. Well might the apostle say of this, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in pain until now. Whoever does not know or love or enjoy God and is not careful about this matter does in effect disclaim the nature of man and degrade himself into a beast. While the whole creation groaneth together whether man attendeth or not, their groans are not dispersed in idle air, but enter into the ears of him that made them. While his creatures travail together in pain, he knoweth all their pain. The whole animated creation waiteth for that final manifestation of the sons of God in which they themselves also shall be delivered from this bondage of corruption and shall then receive an ample amends for all their present sufferings. 
in that day, who could furnish an answer, a plausible objection against the justice of God? As for God, his way is perfect. And such originally were all his works, and such they will be again when the Son of God shall have destroyed all the works of the devil. That, that is stark, Mr. Wesley, the works of the devil indeed. Can you, uh, as we're closing out the segment today, could you leave us with something a bit more positive and hopeful? A general view of this is given to us in the 21st chapter of the Revelation. When he that sitteth on the great white throne hath pronounced, Behold, I make all things new on every creature according to its capacity. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The cow and the bear shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the lamb. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. That is indeed hopeful. I certainly uh, appreciate those thoughts, and thank you, Mr. Wesley, for joining us today. I am well to have spoken with you, and I hope our words will be edifying to those who hear them. Went down to the river Jordan, when John baptized three, when I walked to the devil in hell, I said, John ain't baptized me. This episode of the Hill Valley Podcast was brought to you by Dr. Brown's Flux Capacitors where we'll always have you back in time. My soul arise in heaven alone for the year went on and roll.